All right, on to the word. As far as we know, the Apostle Paul never married, never had any children, and yet he refers to Timothy and Titus as he writes to them as his children. But he says, my children in the faith. The Apostle John writes lovingly to the church, and he calls them my little children. And while these men and many others through the years may not have had physical children of their own as part of a human family, they viewed the church as family, and they cared for the believers as though they were their spiritual fathers. The person who shared the gospel with you, whether it was a man or a woman, you can think back to that person and think of them as your spiritual mother or your spiritual father, someone who brought you to a saving relationship through Jesus Christ to understand your sin, to understand that you need a Savior. And that person should be special in your life. They may not be with you anymore, but you can certainly thank God for that person. As a youth pastor uh, in previous churches over a number of decades, I saw the teens in our ministry as part of our family. They were often at our house. They were often hanging out with my own kids. And we just saw them as our additional kids, our sons and daughters. I've had the joy of uh, being able to perform some of the weddings and even seeing some of them having children of their own. So now I have grandchildren in the faith, which is exciting. We went to their games. We went to the plays. When things were going on, we wanted to know that we cared about them and they could call, they could drop in. <clears throat> I'm not choking up and crying. I'm just getting a little frog in my throat. <clears> throat> but if I think hard enough about those kids over the years, uh, a lot of them are doing great things for the Lord, and that is so encouraging. And here in western New York, you have become our family. You know that we don't have any family nearby, and now we don't even have any in our house. We're like Jeff and Heather uh, down to the empty nest. So you are our family, and we care for you, and we love you. As we continue this series in 1 Corinthians, Living in Light of Eternity, the Apostle Paul is writing to a church in a city called Corinth, and that's why the name of this book is Corinthians. It's like saying Americans, people from America. These are the Corinthians. They were having some serious problems. They're dealing with sexual morality. They're having issues with spiritual gifts. They're having problems in their marriages. And they were not really doing things out of love. They had a lot of other motives. So Paul is writing to them to encourage them, to say, remember what I taught you. This is the way you're supposed to live. You're supposed to live in light of eternity. You have eternal life waiting for you. You have a home in heaven. And with that in mind, it should affect the way you live today, here and now. This city of Corinth was a seaport. It was part of the Roman trade route. So like many other big cities, metropolitan areas, they had a reputation for immorality. They had a lot of religious diversity, people of all different kinds of faiths with many different ideas. And they also saw corruption in the government, corruption in their towns and their cities. It's kind of a lot like what we see today, isn't it? So as we read this letter to another group of Christians in a time quite a few years ago, we can see a lot of parallels, not only to our own culture, to our own church family, and as we read this and as we hear each of these chapters, we can think, well, what are some things that God wants us to do as a church? 
what are some things I need to change in my life? What are some things I need to put aside? And what are things I need to be doing better? So as we listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to finish up the chapter. Listen for some characteristics or actions that the Apostle Paul lists as being a father in the faith. In your bulletin, in addition to that door hanger, is a note sheet. So if you like to take notes, you can fill in the blanks. If you're watching online with us, Heather mentioned earlier, but there is a place called faithlife.com slash Dunkirk Baptist, and that has a digital version of our bulletin, including the sermon notes. And if you're uh, listening now and you forgot something, you can go back to that. You can also go back to our website and you'll see the notes from the service as well as a video um, that you can watch or share. So let's pray before we read God's word and then we'll go through this verse by verse. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this beautiful day. It's a reminder that it is still summer. It's getting warmer again. And we just thank you for this uh, season that we can enjoy here in Western New York. Lord, thank you for each one that has chosen to be with us this morning whether they're part of the family already or they're guests or they're coming back and they are wondering what this is all about. Lord, I just pray that your word would be clear, that the gospel would be clear, and that we would have hearts ready to hear and that we would have minds ready to understand what you have for us today in your word. Help us to be doers of the word and not just hearers. So as we go away, Lord, we pray that we would be changed and that we would act differently as a result of hearing your word this morning. Lord, I just thank you and praise you for this time together in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 down to 21. I'm in 1 Thessalonians. All right, 1 Corinthians is right before 2 Corinthians and right after Romans. So if you're looking for it in your Bible, it's in the New Testament. You can find it there. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant, as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness? Did you hear some of the things that are characteristics of a father in here? First of all, in verse 14, he says, I admonish you. In the previous passage, Paul was very straightforward, telling the church that they were wrongly judging the apostles and others in ministry. And he was just clear. He said, you have to stop treating them this way because they're serving the Lord. But now Paul is revealing the reason for these corrections. I'm admonishing you. I'm correcting your wrong behavior your wrong words, and your wrong motives. I want, you to help, I want to help you avoid doing the wrong thing, and I want to help keep you from sin. 
Paul is the only writer in the entire New Testament to use this word, admonish. And it means to correct with an idea of someone doing something the right way instead of the wrong way. So you can be corrected and basically just told that you've blown it and you've done it all wrong. That's one correction. But this correction, this admonishment is, here's the right thing to do. I want you to change what you're doing and I want you to do it the right way. He's doing this to build them up, to encourage them to godly living. He's not writing these things, as he said, to embarrass them or to bring shame on them. Our correction of our children, our physically children, and even others in the church should not be out of shame, and it shouldn't be out of guilt. We have our kids with us today, so we can hear if they're hearing our words this way. How many of you have heard kids or anybody, have heard a parent or maybe your own words say something like, when you do that, how is that going to make me look? How many of you have heard that or said that? What are others going to think about us as a family when they see you acting like that? This is common in restaurants, right? Or anytime you're in public. What are people going to think about me? They're guilting you, they're shaming you into acting the right way. You've probably said these same things just like I have. And the idea with trying to motivate good behavior through guilt is that there's no real internalized value. I want to do this thing to make mom happy. Or I want to do this thing to keep dad from being mad at you. But what happens when mom and dad aren't there? And this is the struggle for many young people as they are away from their parents at school or away from their parents at work for the first time and there's nobody there to guilt or shame them, they have no real understanding of why they were supposed to act that way in the first place. We need to correct wrong behavior, but we need to encourage our kids or anyone else that the goal is not just making mom and dad happy or keeping them from being embarrassed, but the goal is always to bring glory to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever it is in your day that you're doing, are you glorifying God as you do it? Not worrying about guilting somebody else or am I going to get in trouble if I do this? Does this bring glory to God? 2 Corinthians 5.9, again, the Apostle Paul says, we make it our aim to please him. Whether we're at home or out of the home, wherever we are, we make it our aim, our goal is to please God. So what does glorifying God look like? It's showing people his attributes. It's showing them what he's like. When Jesus was attacked, how did he respond to people? When Jesus was belittled, how did he respond? When Jesus was ignored, what did he do? That's why we read the Gospels. That's why we want to understand the life of Jesus. And that's why the apostles are sharing with us, glorify God in all you do. Show what Jesus is like. As we saw in the past two messages, everything we do is going to be judged eventually by God. And the things that we've done with the right heart motives, the things that we've done 
because we want to please God, we want to glorify Him, those things will be rewarded. But all of our actions that were done just to make ourselves look good, it says they'll just be discarded. They won't matter. God will just ignore those things. So our motivation needs to be God's glory, not avoiding guilt. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm writing this to you not to bring you shame, but to encourage you, do the right thing. A father in the faith admonishes or lovingly, encouragingly corrects. He also loves. Verse 14, the same verse, he says, you are my beloved children. Not only does Paul call them children because they're young in the faith, but he calls them his beloved children. He loves them. He cares about them. And the Greek word here for beloved is agapeta. That sounds just like agape. That's the root word, and that means God's unconditional, sacrificial love. Paul loves them. He wants what's best for them as followers of Jesus Christ, and that includes teaching, correcting, or admonishing them. Out of his love, he wants to make sure that they know what's the right thing to do. When we have correction to share with a family member or someone in our church, it's good to start out by reminding that person that you love them. You love them. You know, I really love you, but here's something that's going on. You know the but's coming, right? Make sure you also just say, I really love you, without some correction coming too, because otherwise people are always going to think your love always comes with something as a correction. But it's really good to remind a person in the church, your own children, whoever it is, you know I care about you, and that's why I need to share this with you. I prayed about it, and I believe we need to talk about this. The fact that you love and care for them needs to be the source and the reason for your correction. So if you think back to your own father, and if my kids are watching, them, watching this, they will know that my correction and discipline was not always out of love. Sometimes it was out of frustration. How many times have I told you not to do this? It feels like I told you a million times, and yet you did it one more time. Fathers are often known for correction and discipline, but not often for doing it out of love and in an encouraging way. So you may have good memories, and maybe your father did it right all the time, or maybe, like me, he had good days and bad days. But the Apostle Paul is showing us the example. When you correct, do it out of love. When you discipline, do it out of a place of love because you want that person to grow. As spiritual fathers, this is really important. And as human fathers, it's equally important that your children know you love them all the time, no matter what. There are a lot of men, and probably women too, who never heard their father say, I love you. Don't be that guy. This feels like it should be a Father's Day message, but this is where we are today, so I'm preaching what's here. But remember this on Father's Day. Say I love you all the time. Let your kids hear it. Let them know how much you love them on good days, on bad days, on days when you have something to correct, on days when nothing is going on. Just let them know. So Paul 
is a loving spiritual father. He's also a spiritual father who produces. A man becomes a father when he produces a child. Otherwise, he's just a man, right? That, that title of father is when you have helped produce a child. And yes, biologically, it takes a daddy and a mommy to produce a child, no matter what the news or science tries to tell you. It takes those two kind of people um, to have babies. Spiritual fathers are producing spiritual children. Here in verse 15, Paul says, you have had had countless, and the word in Greek literally means 10,000. You've had 10,000 guides, but you don't have that many spiritual fathers. You only have one. Paul shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, and those that became children of God, those who trusted Jesus as their Savior, Paul became their spiritual father in the faith. Earlier I talked about who that person is. You can think of that person in your head right now. You can jot down your, their name if you remember it. Maybe it was a spiritual father. Maybe it was a spiritual mother. For me, it was my mom and my sister who sat down with me on a Sunday afternoon. And I've shared this before, but my sister was going on a missions trip as a teenager. And she was thinking and praying about this missions trip, how she was going to go to Bermuda, I think, and share the gospel with a singing group. And she said, how can I go overseas to share the gospel when I don't know if Marky has trusted Jesus? That's what she called me. Don't call me that, please. <laughs> she still can. But Margie wanted to make sure that her little brother had trusted Jesus as Savior. So we sat down on our stairs in that big house in Montclair, New Jersey, and she and my mom led me in a prayer of telling God that I was a sinner and that I needed a Savior. And as a little boy, she wanted to see that I had trusted him as my Savior, and my faith continued to grow after that. So I look at my sister and my mom as my spiritual mothers in the faith. If that person is no longer alive, they're no longer with you, maybe they're in a different part of the world or the different part of the country, you can adopt a spiritual parent or a mentor here in the church. Someone who you can go to and someone who you say, will you kind of look after me and correct me when you see me doing something that isn't godly? Are you a father or mother to someone in the faith? If you're a believer, you should be re reproducing your faith in others. In his final words to his disciples, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to observe all the things that I've taught you. That's what you're supposed to do. This is your marching orders. Go make new disciples. Go reproduce the faith that you have in other people. Help them to become followers of me. And then see that they're baptized, see that they're learning and growing in their faith, learning how to obey God's word on their own. And we are excited about new babies in your church. We were just talking about, uh, we just saw some new twins that are coming up into our school family. And we have a lot of twin babies in our church, which is fun. But we have 
babies in the nursery, you have kids in the children's classes, and that is exciting because we hope that they'll stick around. We'll hope that they will be future members of the church. We know that we need new life in the church, people to grow up. But we also need new believers, no matter what their age is. Paul talks about new Christians as being babies in the faith, as having a young faith, because they're still learning, they're still growing, and they have a lot more to mature. Even those of us that have been believers for many years still have to grow, but we should no longer be babies. We should be ready to handle the deeper things in God's Word and not just the way Paul describes it, the milk. We want to be able to dig into the, the meat of the Word. So my question for you is, when was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? Or even part of your faith? You had a conversation that you talked about your faith, your belief in God, in Jesus Christ as a Savior, your trust in His Word as the authority in your life. Have you had that conversation with someone? You may not get to share the whole gospel every time, but think about ways that you can discuss what you believe with people. And I know people today will say, don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics, don't talk about these things, it's only going to cause arguments. And some Thanksgiving tables in some families, you can't bring up any of those things. You should bring up your faith, no matter what, in a way that is loving, in a way that is encouraging, in a way that wants, makes someone want to have what you have, not hitting them over the head with it, but saying, Jesus Christ has changed my life, and I want that for you too. There's some terrible statistic, like less than 15% of Christians have ever shared their faith. I don't know how that could be, but don't be part of that statistic. Think about who you can be praying for right now, and if you think it's going to be awkward, it's going to be hard, pray about it. Let the Holy Spirit do the work Scripture says he will open doors for us, and you just need to be ready to take that step. Back to Church Sunday, obviously, is a great way to do that, and you have that flyer that you can hang on a door. That's an introduction to say, hey, I go to church, and then to take the next step and say why, and I would love for you to come with me. Can I pick you up and bring you with me? On that Sunday, we do have parking on the front of Central Ave., and we also have permission to park in Gullows right next door to us. So let's fill up all of those parking spaces and bring as many people as we can. Pray about it. So something else you can add to your notes. You can write this sideways in the margin. But write down the name of one person that you want to invite to Back to Church Sunday. One person that you might want to think about an opportunity to share your faith with. And then I would encourage you to pray for that person each day. Just start Asking God for an opportunity to invite them. Ask for an opportunity to talk about your faith and see how God will reward those prayers. You could even put a reminder on your phone to pray for that person each day so that at every day at 10 o'clock you get a little ding. And if you don't know how to do that, ask your grandkids. Some of them are here today. They'd be happy to help you. Cindy and I were, were those people on this weekend trying to set up her new phone, and we were calling help, the help desk and describing things and saying, well, it's doing spinny things, and we just you know, felt really old. That's because we are. Not me. I mean, Cindy isn't. I am. 
not get in trouble. <clears throat> All right. A spiritual father reproduces and a spiritual father sets an example. Look at verses 16 and 17. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Paul makes this bold statement, imitate me. Why is that bold? Well, if I said it, I know that sometimes my behavior, my words, my attitude are not worth imitating. How about you? Can you, can you turn to everybody and say, just do what I do? Again, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Well, that's the, that's the extra phrase that I need. I can't tell my kids just to do what I do. I need to say, do what I do when I'm following Christ. Don't imitate the bad behavior. But as a parent, you know that your kids watch and listen to everything you say and do, right? And when you see and hear your kids doing things you wish they wouldn't do, they probably learned it from you. Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ. <clears throat> God's plan for the church is for older or mature men to mentor or disciple younger men. They may be physically younger or they may just be younger in the faith. And the same is true for women. The older women, the more mature women should be mentoring, guiding, encouraging, helping the younger women in the church. All of you have someone who is younger than you, right? I mean, there is one person who's the very youngest in the room, and there's one person who's the very oldest, and we're not going to draw out or point to those people. But for the most part, you have people who are older and younger than you. You have people who are more mature and less mature. So that means there's someone you can be learning from, and there's someone you can be encouraging. You should never get to the point in your life where you think, I know it all. Who do I need to ask for help for anything? Well, that's not a good place to be. Learn to ask people for help. Learn to ask people even to just pray for you and encourage you in things. But then also think about people that you can encourage and be an example for someone else. Our desire for our church is that every one of us would be discipling somebody else. And while that word sounds scary like it's a whole program, remember our definition of discipling is helping someone take step closer to Jesus Christ. Whether that's the first step in knowing him as Savior or a step in growing in your faith and really trusting in him and turning over more parts of your life to him and saying, the Bible is my authority. I'm going to go to God's word first. I'm going to learn how to spend time reading it. I'm going to learn how to spend time praying. If you can help someone in any of those areas, you're discipling them. And we want to have a church where we're all doing that. In October each year, we have a biblical counseling and discipleship mini um, conference. And downstairs in the fellowship hall, we'll be watching some of the teaching from the national conference. That's an opportunity for you to come. It's totally free. And you'll just hear ways that you can encourage family members or friends or other people in a lot of different areas of life. So we'd encourage you to come to that. You may never become a formal counselor where you're sitting across from a desk from someone, but if you can be better equipped to share God's word with people, don't you want to do that? So all of you should be here. 
we should fill up that fellowship hall, and that week, every one of us should be learning how we can be better mentors. If you're looking for someone to mentor you, and you're thinking, I've never had someone in my life who would just call me and say, let's grab a cup of coffee, let's talk. How are things going with your family? How are things going with work? How's your faith? If you've never had that kind of person, we want to help you find that person. So you can look around at church and you could ask someone, or you can come talk to me and I could point you in the direction of maybe asking someone. In the same way, on the other side, if you're wanting to encourage somebody else and say, who could I have a relationship to mentor somebody? Who could I help? If you want to do that, we also have formal books where you could actually go through new believer questions. So you can do that in that kind of way, or you can just start by giving someone a call and say, let's grab a cup of coffee. Make a note on your note sheet again. Here, write down another name, someone that you want to call and say, let's grab a cup of coffee. If coffee's not your thing, it doesn't have to be coffee. But think about someone that you could encourage or you'd like to have encourage you. A spiritual father sets an example. A spiritual father teaches. Paul said, that's why I sent Timothy to remind you of my ways as I teach them everywhere in every church. Paul sent Timothy, his own son in the faith, someone he led to the Lord, to teach and remind the believers in Corinth of the apostles' teachings, to share the gospel with them. Timothy went as a pastor of that church. Just as a father teaches his children things that are important for growing up with the goal that they would eventually live independently as an adult and figure out how to do life on their own, a father in the faith needs to do the same thing. New believers have loads of questions about what to think, what to say, what to do as a follower of Jesus Christ. How do I listen to the news and understand what's true and what's not? How do I read the Bible and understand what applies to me and maybe what was just some historical event in the past? How do I do these things? It's our task as a church to help teach, to help raise up spiritual mature Christians who learn how to biblically interpret, how to apply God's word to decisions on their hearts, how to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't happen overnight. It's a long process. But that's what we want to see every one of us doing. When I say us, it's me too. Every one of you and me growing in our faith, becoming more like Jesus Christ. And that's why Sunday school is important. Right after the service, there should be time for grabbing a cup of coffee or another beverage, grabbing something delicious to eat. And as Heather said, there are Sunday school classes for every age, from the little kids up through adults. It's a time where you can ask questions about Scripture. Someone's going to have a lesson to share with you, but there's going to be interaction, and you'll be able to learn and start to understand God's Word better. It's a safe place to ask questions, and it's a safe place where you can learn and just grow. As Paul said, he's teaching everywhere he goes, every church he visits, and that's part of a role of a pastor, to teach and to shepherd the church. Quick plug, Holly is not here this morning. They had a family wedding, 
but we could use some additional Sunday school teachers. We could use some additional people to help out in kids' church. You may not be teaching all the time, but maybe you could fill in when there's an emergency. Or maybe you could teach for a month or a quarter to give someone else a break. If you love God's Word and you love sharing it with people, talk to Holly. And to be a teacher, you have to be a member of the church. But if you are not a member yet, you can still be an assistant. You can still help out. And we would love to have you get involved and be part of that ministry. A father in the faith teaches and a father in the faith disciplines. So after all of these things, Paul finally gets to addressing the problem. You notice how long it took him to get there? He made sure they knew that he loved them, that he cared for them, that they were his children in the faith, that he wanted to teach them, he wanted to encourage them. And now here's the discipline. There are people in the church who talk a good talk. But Paul says, when I arrive, then we're going to find out what they're really all about. They're being arrogant and act like I'm never going to come back again. But wait until I get there. Did you ever hear that from your mom or dad? Wait till mom gets home or wait till dad gets home? Anybody hear that and it puts a little chill down your spine? My father was in the Merchant Marines, and he'd be out at sea for weeks at a time. And my older brothers, who got in trouble all the time, I didn't, but they did. They would hear this from my mom, and I, I don't know if she made a list or what, but you know, my father would come home, and he'd have all of these things to deal with. Just wait till your father gets home. Paul's going to address issues with them, like the unity problems. He's going to talk to them about people who were taking sides and picking favorite pastors or favorite people in ministry in the church, causing division. He's going to address those who questioned the apostles' teaching and started promoting worldly wisdom and saying, well, this is the way we do it at work. Why can't we do it here in church that way? Instead of looking for God's wisdom, God's authority in his word, they were promoting other ideas. But Paul has already set the stage. He's disciplining them. He's correcting them out of love. He doesn't want to see them hurt by unbiblical teaching or thinking. He doesn't want to see the church divided and not living together in unity. His discipline is discipling. If you look at that word on the screen or you write it down in front of you, you can see that discipline and discipling are basically the same word. It's talking about following someone. When we hear disciple, we think good things. Oh, they're, they're following this person's teaching. But when we hear discipline, we think, oh, I don't want discipline. I don't want somebody to tell me what I'm doing wrong. Hebrews 12 says that God disciplines the ones he loves, just as a loving father disciplines his children, so that they will grow, they will mature, and they'll be protected from their own foolishness. We need to hear when we're doing something wrong. We don't need or we can't get to a place where we're just trying to be so nice to each other all the time that we never say, hey, that's wrong. What you just said or what you're doing is wrong. Do we want to walk up to everybody and tell them all the wrong things we're doing? No, that's not the kind of relationship we're having. It's people that you've invited into your life and that have invited you into their life to say, hey, would you tell me 
when I'm stepping out of line. Or you're going to that person and asking for help. And you describe the situation and you say, oh, everything you did and said were perfectly true. It's all, you're right and the other person's completely wrong. Is that the kind of advice you need to hear? You usually need to hear, well, here's the part of it that you may have caused. And here's the part where you were thinking just totally wrong. Here's the thing that you did that was wrong. We need to hear right and wrong. As a human father or mother, when you discipline your children, is it coming from a place of love and correction? Or is it coming from anger and frustration? You've heard about counting to 10. And we need to count to at least 10 before we snap back at our kids and say something that we shouldn't have said. And the same is true in our church family. If someone has said or done something, stop and think about, how should I respond to this? First of all, do I need to? Was this person just upset and they just made a mistake? I don't need to correct a mistake. If they know they did it, I don't need to add more fuel to the fire and make them just feel guilty about it. Maybe I don't need to say anything. Or if this is happening over and over again, and it appears that this person has no idea that they're doing something wrong, how am I going to address this? What's the right time? What's the right place? What are the right words? Pray about it. Find what God's word says about it and let God's word and the Holy Spirit do the work. We're not the Holy Spirit. We're not the ones who are trying to fix everybody. We're just, as Paul Tripp says, instruments of his grace. We have the opportunity to use God's word to share with other people. So Paul ends by saying, do you want me to come with a rod of correction to beat you up? Or do you want me to come with love and gentleness? Their reaction to that question should help Paul see how he would respond. Did they immediately get their back up and say, hey, you've got nothing to say to us, Paul. You're not even our pastor. Just back off, buddy. Well, he's got a rod of correction to bring, doesn't he? But if they humbly say, wow, I can't believe how far off we've gotten. How have we let our church get to this point? Humbly say, will you help us? And he can gently and lovingly correct. He's not going to hit them literally with a rod, but his correction is probably going to be so pointed and clear that it's going to sting a little bit from the emotional pain and maybe from their own embarrassment. As their, fa as their father in the faith, he would much rather come with love and gentleness. So kids, all the kids that are in here, look up at me. I can see you. I can see you. When your mom or dad say to you, is there something you need to tell me? If they say that, is there something you need to tell me? Or is there something you need to apologize for? Guess what? They already know what you've done. So trying to hide it or denying it is a bad idea. It's only going to make the discipline worse. If you humbly say, yes, I broke the lamp. Yes, I punched my brother. Yes, I did this. I need to apologize for that. If you're humble and you admit it, it's going to go so much better. And the Apostle Paul is basically saying the same thing. If you know there's a problem, don't start bragging about it. Don't start making up stories and lying about it. Don't make it worse. Just humbly accept the correction and see what you need to apologize for, what you need to ask for forgiveness for, and it will be so much better.
That's a lesson I wish I had learned earlier in life. It's not just your parents saying it, but it could apply to school or work or relationships. How many husbands have said, I don't know what I've done wrong, but please forgive me, right? Here's a box of chocolate, here's some flowers. I don't know, I'm just an idiot, I did something wrong. Think about it, spend some time trying to figure out what did you actually say or do. That's going to get a little further than just this blanket, please forgive me for all the stupid things I've done. I'm guilty of that, and it's, it's not great. It doesn't usually go well. So our take-homes this morning, do you have a father or mother in the faith? Is there somebody that led you to confess your sins, to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you don't have that person, if you can't think back to someone who did that with you, then maybe you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior. Maybe all of this information is still up here in your head. You know and believe that this is the Bible, this is God's Word. You know and believe there's a God who created this all. And maybe you know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that He came and died on the cross and that He rose again. That's all knowing. But as one of my friends used to say, it has to travel 12 inches down to your heart and you have to accept it. You have to confess that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. You have to ask God to save you. And Scripture says, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. If you come to God and ask for salvation, he will give it to you and you will be his son or daughter and he will never let you go. That is such a great promise. So if you've never done that, come talk to me after the service. If you're watching online, contact me through the church website. There's information there about how to get in contact with us. I'd love to show you how you can know for sure that you have a home in heaven, that you're not just hoping or wishing someday you'll be good enough. Because the answer is none of us can ever be good enough in our own strength. It's only the blood of Jesus Christ that can save us. Come talk to me. If you're a spiritual parent, if you have sons and daughters, people that you've led to a relationship with Jesus Christ, they may be your own physical sons and daughters, people in your family, they may be others that you've taught over the years. Are you mentoring them? Have you created some kind of accountability with them where you're checking in with them and asking them hard questions? How are you doing with your walk with Christ? How are you doing in your faith? Paul gives us great instructions on how to do that. He tells us we should be involved in producing new believers. We should be sharing our faith. We should be caring for them out of love. We should be admonishing or correcting them. We should be setting an example for them, letting them see how to do life as a believer and teaching them and when necessary, providing discipline, saying this is what you're doing wrong. This is what needs to change. If you have somebody that you've led to the Lord, you have that responsibility. So follow up with that person. And if you're a human parent, are you doing this for your actual children? They may not know Jesus as Savior yet, but are you guiding them? Are you bringing them to church? Are you helping them read the Bible? Are you spending time in, with family devotions, encouraging them? When you discipline them, are you saying, yes, I want you to obey me, but ultimately, it's God that you have to please. He's the one who is responsible for you. I want you to understand that. 
So when we share with them that it's not just about guilt or shame or making you look good as a parent, but making God look good, bringing him glory and pleasing him. We have so many things that we can do in this area, and I hope that one or two of them stuck out to you, that you'll pray about them in the coming week, and you'll ask God, how can I grow in this area? How can I please you as a spiritual parent or as a son or daughter? Mark's going to come. We're going to sing a final song, and then we'll close this service. And I hope you'll come down and grab a cup of coffee and maybe stay for Sunday school. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning that we could come together, that we could celebrate communion and remember your sacrifice for us. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and others who are fathers and mothers in the faith to share the gospel with each one of us. I pray, Lord, that anyone this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, today would be the day that they would put their trust in you and that they would begin their journey of faith And Lord, as spiritual parents, as human parents, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to discipline and admonish and correct out of love, that you'd help us build up uh, the children that you've given to us to care for them, to guide them in their spiritual walk. So let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In the matchless name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.